Hello, my name is David Lesner, and I'm one of the pastors at Creekwood United Methodist Church. We are located in Fairview, Texas, right east of Allen, just north of the Dallas area. The sermon you're about to hear was recorded at one of our worship services, which we'd love to invite you to check out live at 8.30 a.m. for traditional or 11 a.m. for contemporary on Sunday mornings on our Facebook page or the recorded version on YouTube. We'd love for you to check out our social media pages at Creekwood UMC or our website, creekwoodumc.org, for more information about what is happening and how you can grow with us in our mission to share God's love. If you feel inspired, there's also a way to give at the top of the website. Thanks for listening to this sermon, and we hope it inspires you in your journey with God. Good morning. Numbers 14, chapter 14, verses 1 through 6. Then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. And all the Israelites complained against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would we, would we that we had died in the land of Egypt, or that we would have died in this wilderness? Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become booty. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt so that, so that they said to one another, let us choose a captain and go back to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the Israelites and Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied on the land, tore their clothes. The word of God for the people of God. Who remembers Numbers 14.3? We literally just read it. Like literally, I mean, just a few seconds ago, we just read Numbers 14.3. So um, let's make it a little easier. We'll play the game. I'm going to put a scripture verse up on the screen, and I'm going to have you fill in the blank audibly. So everybody needs to participate in this. Put up a scripture verse on the screen. Everybody, what? Sorry. Well, first... There we go. First, we need to actually get this ingrained in our minds. So why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become booty. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? That is what you couldn't remember 30 seconds ago. Right? So now we're going to play the game. We're going to test your memory and see how great it is. We're going to put up another scripture verse. Fill it in. All right. Most of you got it. I think I, I, there was some mumbling, so I didn't hear a whole lot of confidence in the answer. But here's the scripture verse, John three sixteen: For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son. A lot of people stopped right there. You didn't go to the next part. said, everyone who believes in him may not perish but may have eternal life. And you know what? I tend to stop at the first part too because my memory of this verse is tied up with uh, my first and second grade Sunday school teacher in Vienna, Virginia. And every week when we were leaving Sunday school, she would line us up and give each one of us a hug. And she would, we'd been, she would always say this verse. She would line us up, give each one of us a hug, and say, Jesus came because God loves you. And then she would move to the next kid, and she would hug them and say, Jesus came because God loves you. And it was always this very empowering moment, right? It was this empowering moment to where somebody was speaking into my life that, that God loved me so much that, that we got this gift of Jesus and someone to follow by example and who saved us from sin and, and all. We didn't necessarily cover the, the back part of that very well about the, those who perished, but we really were ingrained that there was a loving God who wanted me to be a part of something larger and that I could be a part of goodness and joy in the world. And so when I hear that scripture verse, I have a lot of joy that comes up in me. I have a lot of great memories, and I have a lot of great feelings of being part of something that is just magnificent in the world. 
Now, this works with other things besides scripture verse as well. We're going to do another part of the game. Uh, I'm going to sing, uh, I'm going to sing a little bit of a song, and I need you to fill in the rest of the line, okay? And we're going to start really easy here. Ready? Amazing grace. Very nice. Now, that's church music, so that may be just a little easy. So we'll start with something. We'll do a little something. Ready? We will, we will. You all know this. All right, ready? Sweet Caroline. Okay, you all just proved that you've been to a bar at one point or another is what we just learned from that moment right there. Right, so there's, a, there's research out of McGill University, and it talks about, I, I bring up music because it talks about as our brains form when we're growing up, they form in a way that responds to music earlier than they do to language, and so therefore we usually have a more positive response to music than we do to language. It's why you can remember every word to We Will Rock You or Sweet Caroline if you haven't heard it in years, or remember songs from your second grade, uh, more so than you can remember Numbers 14.3 that we literally just read from the Word of God, if you want to feel bad about yourselves. Um, so it, it, there's, there's research that shows, so as it's developing, it responds to music in a positive way. Well, positive things uh, release a chemical neurotransmitter named dopamine. And dopamine um, helps stimulate synaptic formation to where you then remember things easily. It's not like storing a picture of a memory. It creates a loop of neurons in your brain that one, uh, one um, uh, trigger is not the right word I'm looking for, one stimulus, stimulus will get back in that loop. That's actually why you get songs stuck in your head is because they're formed in circular patterns. Your brain wants to remember what brought you pleasure. Your brain's almost hedonistic. It, it wants to have pleasurable experiences. And so when you all admitted to being in that bar singing Sweet Caroline, or maybe it was at Fenway Park, who knows, but when you were all in there singing together, it was a pleasurable experience. Your brain wants to remember that. And so uh, it tunes in even more so to what is bringing a pleasurable experience and, and ingrains those words in you. The reason you didn't remember Numbers 14.3 is even though Brandon read it beautifully— you didn't have an emotional reaction to it. Uh, Carolyn showed us a few weeks ago, um, the amygdala is that little like pea-sized thing in your brain that handles emotions. It is what, uh, it, what processes emotions, stimulates emotions um, when you have external stimuli that bring upon things like fear or anger or joy or love or those other types of emotions. And pretty close to that is the hippocampus, which is where memories are processed. And not only are they geographically uh, close to each other, um, but there is a strong connection out of this research that memories and emotions are stored together. And so when the hippocampus is helping you process how your memories are stored, you don't just remember singing Sweet Caroline at Fenway or hearing John 3.16 in the Sunday school class. You also remember how you felt about that. And it's not always just positive because your brain not only leans toward what releases dopamine, it also steers you away. It remembers things that were not pleasurable to help you avoid those things in the future. So we brought up John 3.16 beforehand. This is the Christianity's tagline and what is considered good news. But 
Well, I had this incredible experience with this scripture passage. A friend of mine in seminary grew up in a church where they kind of skipped over for God so loved the world part, and they went straight to the parish part. And the pastor would stand up there and say, if you don't believe, you will perish. Because God is coming after every one of us with God's wrath, and you will perish unless Jesus comes for you. Like it was a question if Jesus would come for you or not. Right? And so he would do John 3.16 all the time, and he would point fingers, and it was this ferocious, terrifying experience of God. And so when I heard John 3.16, like recited in class, it gave me this, oh, I'm part, I'm doing the right thing. And you could see his body language just tense up because he felt like God was just about to squash him like a bug. Right? Because when we remember things, we not only remember what happened, we live the emotions of what happened in real time. The memory springs up everything the amygdala went through the first time, and it brings those moments of terror for John 3.16, or joy for John 3.16, however we experience them, into play in real time. And so why did you not have an emotional reaction to the threat of going back to Egypt? So let's look at the story that we read from Numbers. It is this uprising of the Israelites threatening to Moses, let's find a new captain, let's go back to Egypt. And, and the story before that, so let's go back to the Exodus story. What, was, what were the Israelites trying to escape? Bondage slavery. I think I heard some people confidently, mildly answer that, so thank you. Uh, so they're escaping slavery in Egypt. They have this incredible traumatic experience where literally they did not own their lives. They did not own their time. They had no free agency of how they wanted to live and advance in the future. They had a, a big empire who could step on their neck at any time during this, uh, during this period of enslavement, but they've been freed from that, and they've gone through the wilderness. This is not the end of the 40 years. This is the first time they're on the brink of the promised land, and Moses says, um, hey, you 13 spies, I want you to go up uh, over the mountain and I want you to just come back and tell us how it looks. So they spend 40 days in the promised land, and they come back and they say, this is the greatest place in the history of creation. There is a land of milk and flunny, uh, milk and flunny? Um, it is milk and honey is flowing in this land, but flunny was good too. And they also reported that they had these bushels of grapes that it took two people to carry. They were so huge. The fruit was just all over the place. It was going to be the greatest place in the world to live. They could see why God listed it as, their, as God's chosen place for God's chosen people. And then, but ten of them say, you know, it's not a very good idea to go for it. And everybody in the camp's like, well, hold on. You just described paradise, and you're telling us to stay put, or at least, actually, even worse, go back to the place that we were enslaved in Egypt. And they say, yeah, but you have no idea what's over there. There's the Amakites. And the Amakites are the, the descendants of the Nephilim, who are these legendary, like, gigantuan men. And they have heavily fortified cities, and there's no way we could ever beat them in battle. And you know what happens in ancient world when you go up in battle and you lose— we can see it in the book of Joshua. When the Israelites grew strong, they did this to people. They put the Canaanites to forced labor. When you lost in battle, back in ancient Israel, back in these ancient times, the women were taken as booty. The kids were shipped off somewhere else. That's what it says in Numbers 14.3. You became a slave. 
So they are leaving this incredibly traumatic experience of being enslaved. And they've come to a point where they're looking over the mountain and no matter how good it is, no matter what kind of gold medal is lying on the other side of the mountain, no matter what kind of paradise is there, they're looking over the mountain and they are seeing the potential of their worst fear realized again. Remember we talked about memory. Memory brings up those experiences again. And so you've had this experience, this memory of being in Egypt. And and the memory contains with it feelings of anxiousness and fear and trepidation. And so while we often talk about the Israelites as unfaithful, could we perhaps have a little empathy? That they have the potential to relive their worst ever trauma right over that mountain. And in fact, they don't even have to wait till they get there because it's already cropped up inside of them. This is called relapse. And relapse is clinically defined as um, the return of a disease or the signs and symptoms of a disease after a period of improvement. And they've had a period of improvement. They've had the manna that's come from heaven. They've had the water from a rock. They've had the quail that was given to them when they demanded meat. They've had a period of improvement. They've had a period of progressing forward. But now they've come to a point where they could potentially have to relive the worst trauma of their entire lives. I think we owe it to them a little bit to say we get it. We all have been through relapse on some level. We have all had some kind of negative—I could, I could say the word bullying, right? And, and some people like me might have an experience of being locked in a closet. And the experience of just terror and shame that comes with that, of, of how could I let this happen to myself? Right? I could say the word fired or unemployed. And some other people might have these emotions that crop up from the time where you didn't feel worthy enough. You felt shame in not being able to provide anymore, not being found worthy to advance the company forward. And relapse is easier to see in certain situations than others. If Moses had had a reoccurrence of the cancer that he had once beaten, it's easier to see the physical symptoms of that and the scans that can show us something is wrong. And so when we hear somebody's cancer has come back, we understand and we can see something physically and we're like, oh my gosh, let me walk with you through this. I will do whatever I can for that. Right? If, if Aaron is dealing with addiction, right, you can start to see the downward spiral of the addiction. You can start to see even after 20 years, right, Josh Hamilton goes into a bar in spring training and all of a sudden can't be part of the functioning team again after just a couple drinks because there's never just one, right? We can see that process. It's a lot harder. It's a lot harder to see what's internally going on in the realm of mental health relapse. And when the Israelites are potentially facing reliving, and in fact already reliving, the worst trauma that they've ever been through, and we look at them and say, why can't they just go compete? Why can't they just climb the mountain? They're being unfaithful. They're quitting. When I wonder if perhaps we should have a little bit more empathy, I wonder if our only response should be, I hope you get help. Or let me help. I hope you get okay. Relapse is something that we all face on certain levels. It's just a matter of how traumatic our experiences have been in the past and how our brains have stored that information. Because when somebody goes through relapse, if you remember the brain scans that Carrie Lynn showed you a few weeks ago about what's actually firing during a period of mental illness, right, they're not going to handle just, hey, get over it, calm down, it's okay we would not handle it that way. 
And when, so when Joshua and Caleb are like, no, 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 the Lord has ordained this place for us. We should go and we should charge forward. The Israelites still try and stone them to death because they're not in the right place. And so the question in this is, after so many years of wandering through the wilderness, after being on the brink of where they want to be and then relapsing back to a place where they are looking forward to going back to Egypt, is what's the solution? And they're looking forward to going back to Egypt. By the way, there's a, principle, a phenomenon called learned helplessness. And learned helplessness is having um, basically had um, the stimulus that causes your traumatic uh, effects in your body um, to, to a point so heavily that you learn that there's no way out just through experience. Or you've been conditioned to believe that there's no way forward, no way out. And so eventually you start to not even try to avoid the trauma anymore. And so these Israelites who are looking potentially at trauma have perhaps gotten to a place of learned helplessness where they're just ready to go sit in it. Because we can get comfortable with trauma. We can get comfortable with grief. We can get comfortable with depression. We can get comfortable with all sorts of different feelings. We can learn to be safe there because it's known. And as long as we have, you know, known produces less anxiety than unknown. And I visited with somebody who was talking about what is the solution to learned helplessness? What is the solution to um, relapse when it inevitably comes at some point or another what is the solution to that? And I, I talked with a member here, a person who attends worship here who's a psychotherapist, and said, well, the same solution then is not going to be the same solution now. And that's the first thing that will help all of us on the road toward recovery, or on the road to treatment, on the road to mental health, is recognizing that not every mental health thing is one size fits all. In fact, even the same situation for you is not one solution fits all for every time and place. What he described to me is that therapy is like going to school. Um, and when you learn math in kindergarten, it's one plus one or two plus two, and you have the basic understanding of how numbers work. When you graduate from high school, you've probably gone through like AP calculus on some level, and I can't even give you an example of what you do in AP calculus, but I know that you know a lot more about how numbers work and you understand a much more complex uh, situation uh, or much more complex way to handle the problems of mathematics. And therapy is described as being flexible, going back to school when you need just a, a brush up on what lessons we need to handle life right now. It's a very important recognition for yourself and for the community and your family and friends around you that just because somebody has overcome something once, they're not weak if they experience it again. They are reliving their most traumatic experiences in real time, even if they're not living a traumatic experience. Because you all caught on to Sweet Caroline really fast. Right? If I had just gone, baby shark, do, 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 right? It's going to be in your head the entire day. And it'll only take one note. It'll only take one note to trigger that. Well, think about it in terms of somebody's mental trauma. It only takes that much. It only takes a moment, it only takes a chord, it only takes a beat. And so our first thing to do to work towards solution is to have empathy with ourselves and grace with each other. Is to recognize that blowing someone off is the worst thing we can do. 
but sitting with somebody and helping them journey and saying, I don't know what you're going through, but I'm here for you, is the best togetherness, the best solution going forward. Now, and helping them get the right tools. Now, the other part of this uh, going forward is uh, there's a scripture verse that is often um, taken out of context, if I can get to it. It's 1 Corinthians 10, 13, and, and most people will recognize this scripture verse uh, in the way that it is said of when God closes a door, God opens a window. It's not actually in the Bible. I just want you to know that. Um, what it really says is that with the testing, with the trauma, with the trial, God will also provide the way out. The trauma doesn't come from God. God will provide the way out. And this is an important factor in why I believe I am glad that you are here today, is because um, this is the element of remembering what God has done. Um, the same friend that I was talking to earlier that I mentioned the psychotherapist who goes here was saying an exercise that he does with patients is has them write down their story of mental health from the beginning and, and then even further back what they uncovered through therapy and the work that they had done and then they get to read it at the end and then they get to keep it and read it and it becomes part of their life story. And as I said before, the same solution doesn't always carry over from point A to point B, but at least when they read it, they recognize that there was a way out. They recognize that they did the work before, and there was a way to overcome or to move forward before. And so um, the, really the question is, is not what is the solution, but the statement, there is a solution. Not what is the way forward, but there is a way forward. And you know, hope is a powerful thing. Hope is a powerful thing. And so when you read the story of your own story, your own situation, recognizing that I was able to move forward before, well, then I can go get the help to move forward again. Right? God never stops recognizing us. The statement we've been saying is God pays attention. I talked with another friend who said, well, maybe your catch line for this specific sermon is, is we should pay attention to God. When we read our story of how we've overcome before, right? When we look back in Exodus and we see that we were hungry and manna was provided for us and then we were thirsty and water was provided for us. We were hungry again. We wanted meat this time and quail was provided for us. That so we go back and we revisit the story where God had provided those therapists and those friends and those doctors and our church community. God had provided because God pays attention. And part of the way forward is that we pay attention. We go back and revisit our story. We do the work, the long, hard work of recovery so that we can do it again. So we can walk with others through it again. And, you know, I put up the communion slide because communion is one of those markers for some people that just really shows that God pays attention. That God never abandons us. And even when we relapse into physical health or mental health again and again, that God never gives up on us. Thanks for listening. We would love if you could leave us a review on whatever platform you are listening today and let us know how we are doing. Be sure to check out our social media pages at Creekwood UMC and our website, creekwoodumc.org, for more ways to get involved at Creekwood United Methodist Church in person, online, or both. Thanks again for listening and have a great week.